Hello, Metro Augusta. Hello, Georgia. And hello, wherever you are. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the January 10th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you as a service of Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. If you haven't already, please follow Local Matters on Facebook. And of course, we ask you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. When you follow and subscribe, you get notifications when we post new episodes and you get access to other information that we provide to help you indeed become a more engaged citizen. Today's show is about environmental issues, uh, specifically here in Metro Augusta. We talk about water quality, we talk about air quality, uh, up and down the Savannah River uh, in uh, Georgia, and of course on the South Carolina side as well. Uh, you will note that I am doing more shows on environmental matters now uh, because I have come to realize how important that is. Uh, we as citizens need to be aware of and be good stewards of the environment. Uh, some of you who know me know that I am enrolled in a Christian education certificate program uh, and I most recently completed a course on stewardship. And in that course, we not only talked about stewardship of our financial resources and our lives, we also talked about stewardship over the environment. And it made things just come together for me. It was sort of a full circle sort of thing uh, when uh, it made sense that we should be involved and interested in uh, what is happening with respect to the environment. And this show is one of those shows that really helps us understand how important that is. Local Matters family, we have another very special treat today, and that is the presence of Ms. Tanya Bonitatibus. I got it right that time. Uh, for those of you who are in the Augusta area, you know her as the Savannah Riverkeeper. For those of you who are not in the Augusta area, we want you to know her because uh, she's played a very important role in our environment here in Augusta for several, several years. Uh, and we're going to talk about the role of river keepers. We're going to talk about how important it is that we begin to pay more attention to the environment. Um, but before we get started with that conversation, we want to ask her about the origin of that last name. When I first met her several five, seven, eight years ago now, uh, the only person who could pronounce that name correctly was the late Sarah Hudson, who was my executive assistant at that time. And she was the one that taught me phonetically how you. You know, to use that, how you say that. Uh, so tell us, where does Bonitatibus come from? So I, uh, so Bonitatibus is my ex-husband. It is a Greek name. Um, and there are a very small hand, you know, there's a handful of them. Um, it is my, my ex-husband. I did not give his name back. Uh, because it, it works really well, right? So you hear it one time and you remember it. So he probably wishes I gave it back. Uh, my my uh, <laughs> my maiden name is Jacobson. So okay. uh, Bonitatibus works better. <laughs> okay. All right. Great. Because it makes you stand out for sure. <laughs> right. and, 
And of course, you stand out in a number of ways. Anyway, I mentioned being the Savannah Riverkeeper. Uh, we're also going to talk about Healthy Augusta in a podcast series that you're working on called This Is Us. We want to incorporate all of that into this conversation. Um, and before we get started, I know you're a native Augusta, native Augustan, native of South Augusta, um, and you still live in South Augusta. Also, want to talk some about just just how you got in that role. So tell us what the Riverkeeper does and how you wound up there. Sure. All right. So Savannah Riverkeeper, we started in 2001 and we were founded off of a model that was started on the Hudson River in the 70s. And it was started from a group of fishermen and other folks like it's the oldest shad fisheries in the United States. And they could no longer sell their shad because they tasted like diesel and General Electric was killing millions of fish. And they found a law called the Rivers and Harbors Act that said you cannot pollute, you don't have the right to pollute, and if you do, citizens can hold you responsible. They took that to court and won against General Electric for killing millions of fish a day, got $2,000, bought the first boat, and started this model of this protective one organization whose job it is to watch over a river system. Um, in Atlanta, the Atlanta sewer system was a absolute mess for many, many, many years. It was um, until the, the Chattahoochee Riverkeeper was founded and they were instrumental in one of the beginnings of holding the city accountable for fixing its sewer system that is now, um, you know, it's, it's fixed it. Uh, so we started in 2001. Um, we watch over the Savannah River. That's the state border between South Carolina and Georgia, a little bit in North Carolina. So we go all the way from uh, Cashiers, North Carolina to Savannah, Georgia, Jasper, Hampton, Allendale, you know, the whole. And we're based here in Augusta, which is halfway between the top and the bottom. So mile marker 200. Um, my history, I, I live on Tobacco Road. I always have. Uh, my great-grandparents bought a piece of property when my uh, great-grandfather came here in the early 50s. He was told to not live very far from Eisenhower. He had a heart problem. Um, and so that's where he was located. We bought, uh, it was a nursery at the time and have, have continued to live there since. So I am one of the few people that, that still gets to grow up as a, a cluster of family, which is pretty cool. Um, but South Augusta has always been my home. I've lived in Old Town. I've lived in Montclair. Um, and both of them just convinced me I needed to go back to uh, back to tobacco. <laughs> so um, I don't know what that says about me other than I am. I am definitely a product of my environment and, and pretty proud of it. OK, awesome. Awesome. Um, as you talk about that role of being the watchdog, now tell me what you did before you were a watchdog over the river. Well, I uh, So out of school, I wanted to be a veterinarian. That was always my goal. And I met this really awesome uh, professor who told me that I didn't want to be a vet. I wanted to play with fish and took me to this place called St. Catharines, which is actually the island that sits behind me here. And uh, we did some fish population studies that included catching sharks in this crazy net. At the, mm -hmm. anyways, I was hooked. Um, I was a teacher's assistant in the in the lab at Augusta University, was about to have my second child. And I knew one thing for sure, which was I wanted to go back to work. I had stayed home and finished school with them. Um, and there was this guy at my church that uh, had this thing called Riverkeeper. And it sounded really neat and cool. And 
Um, I ended up with a marketing degree, so I have a business degree, but I was working in the biology department and was was almost almost have a biology degree. And uh, I convinced him to hire me. I had no idea what it was. And one of the very first things we worked on actually was Olin Chemical in South Augusta, which was a, a company that was emitting mercury and a technology that was maybe illegal in Japan in 1956 um, and, and had really kind of contaminated the land. And uh, I was hooked. I, I was hooked. I, I'd, I'd always wanted to get out of Augusta as I grew up. And then I started learning the history. I started learning loving the river, connecting, understanding like the the mills, the child labor in the mills happened here. The, the you know, the civil rights movement, like so these key pieces that we learned about was here. Like it was here on our streets. It was here in our community. And there's so much amazing stuff happening right here, but there's also a lot that needs to be corrected. There's a lot that needs to be fixed and somebody needs to be watching out for specifically the water because you can't survive without it. I mean, it is, it's a river system. It's also the water you're drinking in your faucet and it is, is intimately tied to your health and the health of your, of your community. So you found your calling. Yep. Basically, because you just, you love fish. It started off with fish. <laughs> and then it just kind of grew. So that that is a wonderful story. I tell young people all the time. In fact, I had a conversation on yesterday with one of my college classmates. She was talking about her daughter and trying to figure out her career path. And I said, you know, what I do is a calling for me. Going into local government was a calling for me. Now, you know, I do local government consulting and podcasting. And I consider all that to be a calling. That It is a ministry for me to do that. Um, so, and there's nothing that feels better than being where you're called to be. So congratulations uh, for being in that space. I know sometimes there are times when, um, people may think, oh God, here comes Tanya again. <laughs> and, and what do you think when, when you know somebody's thinking, oh God, here's Tanya again? Um, I, I think I'm a little bit honored. I'm honored because when I show up, they know that usually I'm bringing something that's serious and like they can't, I don't think it's a complete discredit. Like I'm the crazy person that just walked in the room. It is more serious than that. And, and I'm honored that people will take the time to listen uh, because it is a lot of what I have to say. And it is, it's an unfortunate reality. You know, the first thing I thought about is, is, I'm lucky because most of the time when I call a utilities director, they answer the phone, no matter what, especially if it's in the middle of the night. And that could be because I'm calling them to say that somebody's called me and told me that the creek that they're pulling their water out of is running white or that something's wrong. You know, so like that, that emergency response component that Riverkeeper plays that people don't really realize is... Uh, those are the people that I think are are the least happy to see my phone call, <laughs> but, but they answer. Um, but I, I mean, I think, you know, other than that, um, I am, if I think I am in the right and I think that I understand fully a issue, I, I, I think it needs to be heard. You, yeah, there are a couple of things I was thinking about as you were saying that. One is uh, you've been in this role 
for, you said since 2001? When did you start? 2006. The organization was founded in 2001. You started in 2006. When you started talking about these issues, a lot of times people probably didn't get it. Yep. Is, 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 um, but now as we evolve, going fast forward, you've been in the role for 17 years. People probably have a better understanding now than they did when you first started. Yeah, I think so. And I think that um, I think that there's some pockets of the community that have always known. And those are the pockets of the community that were that had cancer or whose children couldn't learn or other components that really directly affected them. The fishermen have always known. Um, we have a pretty short memory generationally. Uh, it was not that long ago where you had just hordes of fish coming up the river and a fishmonger in downtown Augusta that was a very serious business for a long time. Like there's, it's interesting how how quickly it disappears. People, is this new? Are people just learning now? And you said that you think people have always known that there were issues and they, they needed to be addressed. Yeah, and and I think that it's a, there's a lot of disconnect between the environment and what that, it started in the 80s. I don't know, it started in the 70s, the 60s. I mean, people have always known that they made poor choices and those poor choices resulted in somebody else having a negative effect. Like that exists, people know it. It doesn't matter what, it, it the, the way it affected them is different. Um, I do think maybe the general public is is more aware, but they're more skeptical too. Um, at this time, you know, we've got a time and place where people are are scared to to look at the media and even trust what they're reading, and and rightfully so. I mean, we have a media that absolutely is slanted one way or the other. So maybe they're paying more attention. I hope they are, um, and it's desperate that they do. Um, but even you know how. It's a weird dynamic. There's more education. You can access everything from your cell phone. You can understand more and you can listen to more. You can see more. But that also means that you can't trust what you're seeing. And and so navigating that space is, is really interesting. I hope after 17 years, people don't just tune out when they hear my voice because I think my voice sticks out. Um, and yeah. maybe a bunch of them do. Uh, but... Uh, Maybe not, and hopefully that's just because we've spent so much time trying to work and build trust in the community. But this is a difficult time right now. It is, it's really difficult. Uh, you know, I also have, I'm regularly called River Karen when I speak up about, you know, different issues. So there's a bunch of people that are tuning out that absolutely own bass boats and go out on the river on a regular basis that need to listen to me, hopefully. When I say, hey, don't feed your children more than one bass a month out of this river or it can make them sick. So that's a sorry, that's why I was struggling to answer. It's like it's such a complex. I hope people are listening more now. And I think maybe they are. But I think what's more important is that I get key people to listen and understand so that people can hear from others voices. Right. We've got to get to a place where people can translate and continue to push it out because I'm always going to be a river Karen to somebody. OK, gotcha. River Karen. That's an interesting term. Interesting <laughs> term. Um, uh, it, well, and 
it's real funny to me because Karen was on the short list of names that my mother was about to give me too. <laughs> I mean, I guess you lean in, right? <laughs> but okay. So, and you mentioned getting calls. So part of your role is actually taking complaints from people who think that there's something amiss. Yeah. So we, that's actually a big component just, you know, just yesterday or two days ago, uh, somebody was walking next to the top of Lake Olmstead and called us and said, hey, there's sewage that is coming out of this pipe and I don't want to call the city because I feel like they don't respond. Will you help? And so I sent one of our staff members out. And in fact, there was a sewer line leak and we very easily were able to call utilities. It was fixed within a couple of hours. Um, and so that is, uh, it could be that. It could be... Um, we're wait, working in Lake Burton right now because of some of the silt from the growth of all the development around them is flushing and filling in the lake. And they've been trying to work with the county and the county's not enforcing the law, the state's not enforcing the law. And so working with the community to try and, I mean, just get the law followed. Uh, that's a, that is a, a, a lot of what we do, but a lot of the phone calls that happen in our office is because people called other folks and nobody would give, wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't help. And so we, we plug in, in a bunch of different ways in that, in that component. Okay. So, and I'm going to pause here. Usually I do this at the end, but I want to pause here for people who hear that. So please give us the phone number, or email address, whatever it is that folks need to do if they see something like that, that looks suspect. So you can always call. So 706-826-8991 is our office. Um, but you can find us on Facebook or online, savannariverkeeper.org um, and, and submit or info at savannariverkeeper.org anytime. But if you call, um, most of the time somebody will answer the phone. But if you leave a message, somebody's going to call you back. So that could, a couple of examples of, of why you might call us is all of a sudden you have a development that's coming in upstream and now your house is flooding or your yard is flooding or you have sinkholes that have shown up. And that means that somebody upstream isn't doing their job or all of a sudden the creek is running blood red. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty typical call. What that means is that the person, the developer upstream doesn't have the right silt fences in place. They're not doing the development correctly. Okay. Um, or it, you know, it could be that you have um, a soil amendment that's now being put next to your field or your property if you happen to live in in our more rural communities, um, which is a uh, it's the stuff left over from FPL Foods and all the meatpacking plants that is just distributed out on land throughout rural Georgia. Um, and which is a, another issue that we work on. So um, we get lots of lots of citizen calls, lots of citizen calls. Okay, okay. thank you for that. And we'll make sure um, to put that in the comment section um, so people know where to follow up with you in the event that they need to reach out to you when something does seem to be amiss. So um, let's... Uh, one other thing. Hey, can you tell me maybe the weirdest is that like one call that stands out that you've gotten over these 17 years that you share with us to give people a real understanding of what it's like to sit in your seat? Um, let's see, some of the weirdest. Uh, some of the, uh, one of the, the a couple of uncomfortable ones uh, right below the locket dam, there's a big hole. 
And in it, uh, there were some divers not too long ago that were pulling old logs out of the hole and and sent back pictures of a bunch of 55 gallon drums that were kind of sitting down in the hole. It's like, uh, <laughs> what's in that? Um, so that's a that that's a pretty weird one. Um, one I was pretty honored to be able to work on was when um, Riverwatch Parkway was being extended into and meeting Bobby Jones. The way that that development and the maintenance of the railway, uh, there was a house that was caught in the middle that during a big flood event, there was actually two houses that were not in a floodway, so they did not have flood insurance, and the stormwater that had congregated washed one of their houses completely off of the foundation, about six inches. The other one was about in, a foot and a half into their house. Uh, the one whose house moved uh, was a fireman, actually, with the city of Augusta, and the other one was a, a veteran and a police officer. And we were able to help them get the representation to take on the railroad, uh, which I still haven't convinced the city to do. Olive Road, they should have sued the railroad a long damn time ago. Uh, but they were able to take on the railroad, actually get money to to move. Um, and in that situation, they would have lost everything because they didn't have flood insurance and it was water. But it was very clearly the railroad's fault. OK, so and again, I want to make sure. So it's the railroad's fault. So what was the recourse? How did that end? That sounds like a happy ending. If it I'm was a happy ending. Yeah. So the the landowners or the guys whose houses were ruined uh, were compensated so that they could actually go get other houses. Because, you know, if you don't have flood insurance and a flood destroys your home. Yeah, you're in big trouble. Lost everything. Yeah, insurance you know? companies don't want to see you come in. That's right. Covered under their regular policy. So did the railroad actually pay in that yep. instance? Yep. Oh. The railroad had to pay. Wow. And the should pay like they they have an obligation to the community to maintain those culverts like those those ditches and those holes that water disappears into in neighborhoods and streets mm -hmm. is critical to the rest of the infrastructure. But it's weird because it's out of sight, out of mind. And they had main they had failed to maintain that their their stormwater conveyance system and it, it had flooded out the houses. Wow. OK, got it. So, and you get a chance to do this, not just in the Augusta area, but up and down the entire Savannah River, as you indicated. So you must have really interesting interactions with all of those elected officials and government bureaucrats <laughs> up and down. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, I really, it's, they're, they're so... The communities are so different, all the way from Anderson, South Carolina, to, to Clayton. That's kind of the, the top for us. Um, Anderson is a city of a lot of, you know, past textile mills, which is very similar to Graniteville. A lot of contamination. They're also the home of the two major petroleum pipelines that run through the whole eastern seaboard. So, um, but you've got uh, the two states back and forth are the most fascinating because there there are key similarities but differences in just the way everybody approaches things. So Georgia, we say, has laws. They're not super great at enforcing them. South Carolina just chooses not to have laws. So that's kind of a general. Like, that's obviously an exaggeration, but it is in many cases true. South Carolina has chosen just to, it's like, you know, the, there's not a lot of regulation. We're not the home of regulation. In fact, that's actually something that is very important for people to understand is that 
when when people talk about a new company coming here or a new industry coming here, they they love to say, well, this was in California and they could meet California standards. Therefore, yeah. they'd be fine here. Yes, but that's in California. They paid extra money to make sure that they met those standards. Those standards don't exist here. So we don't have the same regulations. We don't have the same requirements from our government that they keep the air as you know, certain level of clean or that they keep the water a certain level of clean. So just because a company did it here doesn't mean that they will do it in Augusta. In fact, it's very unlikely that they would do it here because why would they? they that's yeah, why would they? You know, companies aren't going to spend any money. They don't have to. That's right. But know. Augusta should, we should be requiring that of our companies when they come in. Okay. And that's interesting. You talk about regulations that don't exist, either not enforced or don't exist. Is that just one of those Southern things where we're in a very conservative environment and we're pro-business, you know, from the legislative level? Is that why you wind up with very little regulation? I, I think so. And I think that there's, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really mixed bag. So Augusta in general, we are in a location of employment, that was, uh, don't ask, don't tell is not the right thing to say, but it's, you, you work here in, you know, spe specifically Savannah Riverside, some of the DuPont work for sure, Fort Gordon, where you go to work, you are somewhat giving of yourself and sacrificing yourself for the betterment of society through your job, but you also don't talk about what you're doing. And I think that creates kind of a culture of, of not, um, the, the community doesn't really talk about what's happening in, in our, I don't, it's just kind of accepted. I mean, people talk about it. So when you go across the Sandbar Ferry Bridge, crossing over the Savannah River, if you look up to the top right, there's a big sign, there always is, um, a billboard that talks about a white card. Right. So the white card, uh, I don't know if you know what that is, but if you worked at Savannah River site, Chances are, especially if they made you sick, that you have a white card. It covers the rest of your medical. You, you can get. Oh yeah, oh, I'm very familiar with that. And and as you say that, I'm deeply conflicted. And let me tell you why. Because when I was, you know, zero to twenty-two in terms of age, every bit of food I ate came from Dupont. Yeah. Yeah, you know, my father worked there for thirty plus years. And uh, he wound up with exposure to asbestos and uh, exposure to some other things that uh, resulted in multiple myeloma. Um, so I'm real familiar with, with, with exactly what you're talking about. So it's like, okay, and he was fortunate because he lived to be 85. Many of the folks who worked out there didn't make it anywhere near that long. Um, but, but yeah, but also, you know, I monitor DuPont stock every day cause he bought some, you mm. know, and like I said, every bit of food I ate, my college education yep. came courtesy of his service to DuPont. And, and that is, that's the beauty of our community, right? So there is the, a, um, there's a sacrifice component to that, that is, mm -hmm. that's amazing and selfless. Uh, but it also didn't have to be that way. 
that's the that's the part that I think is is you know DuPont didn't have to contaminate people because you didn't you know you're talking about working at Savannah Riverside they were working with radioactive materials but it was asbestos that he was you know exposed to or other um, heavy metals is a, a huge thing at Savannah Riverside so um, we are talking about companies uh, that have been held responsible in other parts of the countries for pretty strong atrocities um, and been proven that they did so, um, that have still not been held responsible here. Um, and and I think that's, I think they have an obligation. I think that, that companies, we have to make sure that they have an obligation of maintaining their product from, you know, from raw product to waste product and being responsible about the effects. Because when they're allowed to have lax regulation, that really means less money, right? So that's bigger profits versus the the safety protocols or whatever needed to be in place, the scrubbers. Um, when, when you're allowed to do that, then it's profits and you're deferring the cost to the guy that now has cancer or you're deferring the cost to the community that now all has asthma. And that's, like that's that's not okay. We as a society don't we don't really grasp that. And I think it's because if you happen to live in a community that's largely neighborhood based, um, and you don't have any of these facilities, that that disconnect is pretty strong. It doesn't seem like it's real, and it, it's absolutely real. And you know, as you talk about that, I, I, I was thinking, well, who needs to be regulating this? Is it the feds, or should it be the state government? And then I thought about it. Well, DuPont was a federal government contractor. That's right. It worked for the feds. That's what's paying them. Yep. And I mean, Department of Energy today still has a tritium disposal program that is spraying it into the trees. Like that is, and they say, well, it's, you know, that's enough of a half-life. It, you know, it disappears enough. And and I don't, I don't really agree with that. Um, but I there's there's still a lot of contamination that exists from past behaviors at Savannah Riverside. Now, the unfortunate part about it is that if you work there, you can get a white card, right? You, they, there's a there's a direct link. If you happen to live next door and your groundwater was contaminated, there isn't really a good remediation for you or how you know your community was affected, which is, um, it's, it's an unfortunate reality um, and there really should be more money and effort put into cleanup around Savannah Riverside to help elevate some of the the burdens of those communities because they've they've suffered pretty badly. Augusta has thrived. Jackson, South Carolina has not. Let's shift gears a little bit, although it's all directly related. Let's talk about healthy Augusta. Um, tell tell us what that is. So Healthy Augusta is a, it's a group of us. We meet once a month to talk about, um, Augusta has become, I first heard it termed as the, we're going to, we're going to make the closed loop of the recycling system. Mm -hmm. So, um, we, until a couple of years ago, um, counted as the fourth largest amount of toxic releases in the United States in the Savannah river. Half of that came from Columbia nitrogen road. With the um, Columbia Nitrogen, it's not Columbia Nitrogen, but um, oh, DSM Chemical. So when DSM Chemical closed down, 
Um, that reduced the burden of the pollution in our area significantly from a benzene level, from a bunch of different levels, like they needed to go. Um, but what's happened is that now we are deemed as a federal, I think it's called a clean energy workforce ready community, something like that from the federal government. And what that has really meant in the last couple of years is that they brought in a copper smelter, a pyrolysis facility, which is a plastic smelt a recycling facility. Um, now, Salve Chemicals has recently announced that they're bringing their big PFAS line in, um, and and there was a biodigester that was was proposed. Um, Healthy Augusta founded because that seemed a little bit inappropriate. Um, we didn't really want those that that new that new level of industry coming in specifically without pretty specific requirements on water and air pollution. Uh, we started meeting about a year ago. There are representatives from transportation, health, food security, um, a number of different EJ folks that, that have worked long in the community. Yeah, environmental justice. Environmental justice, sorry. Um, so folks that have worked on like Hyde Park and uh, around Vogel, Shell Bluff area. Um, and we just started meeting and talking about the different parts, specifically South and East Augusta, about one, the current condition of the land, the soil, the air, the, the past history, and then what do we want out of the future? And that future can't just be looking at water. It can't look at just food security or transportation or health. kind of has to be all together. Um, now that group has grown to over 40 folks uh, that rotate in and out each month that are collectively kind of trying to grapple with, you know, one of the projects is looking at the, the lead level in soils in some of our communities throughout Augusta and determining if there is a bigger problem um, because folks kept talking about it in different pockets. And it's um, trying to bridge the gap between the, the medical and the human health component and environment. And that's been um, that's been kind of a, a, a level of focus that we've had so far. Uh, one of the one of the things the groups decided pretty early on when is the data exists. Like I can sit here and we can go through a GIS map and I can show you how we're in a super high cancer rate because of our air level. Um, and then I can tell you the story about why our particulate air matter is so bad here. Um, I can show you the water, the impaired waterways, specifically in South and East Augusta that have been known to be impaired heavily for a very long time. Um, but people don't understand or know that information on a ready basis. So. We started this pod, the podcast, and, and what really is an oral history project of trying to help people understand um, what's happened throughout the community as we have developed. So I sit in East Augusta, for example, um, and the growth of Columbia Nitrogen Road, um, in reality, was a what was farmland converted into chemical plants that super negatively affected the neighborhood, um, and that wasn't a, uh, a a low you know that wasn't a low class scary neighborhood that was a middle class nice neighborhood the whole area was around Sandbar Ferry and it's not now and trying to to look at how how those effects. Um, what is we, people don't even know the story 
So that's what the, the, the podcast is about, helping people understand the story. Um, and I don't know the story, which has been really fascinating. So I'm having the opportunity to sit down and learn, one, how to interview, uh, but to hear these stories of my own community in ways that I don't even know. So now uh, we, we're working on some mapping projects, building off other stuff, just trying to look and understand um, understand our history and and hoping to create a blueprint for what we want to see out of East and South Augusta in the future. And we is not Riverkeeper. We is this whole group of folks that from 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 both of those communities that I think have said, you know, we've had enough. Like we don't want the PFAS line from Solve Chemicals that they just got sued for in New Jersey. Move down here with the federal government giving them $170 million to do it, to move it onto Tobacco Road. Like, no, that's not what we want out of our future. Um, so that's what we're trying to get to. But it's, it's a very fluid process. And uh, one I'm honored to be, I'm honored that people keep showing up and that they let me sit in the room and, and watching these brilliant minds that talk about their way that they see the community and watching people work together and kind of think about that blueprint is is really exciting. Okay, and that that is great work. And uh, full confession, everybody, um, for those that don't know, I'm a resident of East Augusta, so I am directly connected to many of the things that Tanya is speaking of right now. And also, I participated in the Oral History Project. Please <laughs> let people know where they can find it when it goes up where to look for it all that good stuff so it'll uh it's called this is us augusta um and we will post it on it'll start on savannah riverkeeper's youtube channel um and we've not but i'm sure we will create one for for this is us so we're um then it will start in January. So we'll start putting the first episode out. The, the idea is every two weeks we'll put a new episode out um, right now that hopefully we'll, we'll just kind of keep going. We're doing all the interviews or as many as we can currently. Um, and thank you for that. As you mentioned, air and water and soil contamination, that is pretty serious. It takes me back to my days when I was with the city of Augusta and the you know, we would be looking for property to do some project on and the number of times that it would come back was with soil contamination on a property that we thought we were interested in is really, really scary. Yeah. So um, one thing that actually I, I didn't talk about with how the Augusta that's super exciting is we've been approved to get a, a Georgia Tech Penn Fellow this next year. And their whole job will be looking at where those contaminated sites are and trying to bring in some of the toxic fund cleanup money that Georgia has. Um, but you're right. I mean, our property, we have 14 acres along the riverfront in downtown Augusta. And I sit at almost a mile of riverfront that nobody even thinks about is down next to the boathouse. And that's because a lot of it's contaminated land because it's the old port. Um, but there's no reason we have to be scared of that land. In fact, what would be great is if our if our community would lean in and recognize that we actually need to clean that up because the person continuing to live next door to it is being negatively affected. And so we kind of have, uh, we have a huge pocket of contaminated land here. Um, and there's a lot of federal funds and state funds. So it's one of the things our developers and others need to change about their behavior. 
Yeah, and to be more aggressive about the cleanup efforts. But yeah, there's a lot of contaminated property and or the other obstacle we would be up against is it's swampland. You yeah. know, the water table's too high, you know, whatever, whatever. So I have seen that as an impediment to Augusta's growth, really, was because there's just so many things. You look at that. Why has that property been vacant for the last 40 years? Well, because it's contaminated or it's in a floodplain or it's a... Um, uh, a, a swamp, you know. Um, other thing is you were talking about the bigger companies and these multi-million dollar projects. Um, you know, everybody loves the idea of jobs, particularly jobs that pay well coming into our community. You know, it's another way, hey, you want to help people take better care of their families and themselves. But it seems like there's this awkward trade-off. Like I was talking about with DuPont, it's like, okay, yeah, we worked, my father worked there. He earned a good living, had a good pension and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, did it make him sick in the process? And it, it feels like almost the same kind of trade-off with the companies that we're talking about now. And this is, you know, 70 years after he began working at Savannah Riverside. Yeah, well, I think it was a strategic decision by our community. We like the the Chamber of Commerce and the powers that be decided that we were going to be this corridor for chemical manufacturers and have continued to bring them in and and attract that type of workforce. Um, I when I drive, so our our office has the levee that goes through it, uh, which is a one of the most amazing features of our community that nobody takes advantage of, but it goes from um, all the way from Columbia County down to Lock and Down. It is a solid line. If you look at Columbia Nitrogen Road, which is where we have brought in chemical manufacturers, and think about that as a tech corridor, you have a place that is located in the swamp where some of the most, like, they've already filled it, so you've, you've got plenty of land to work with if you clean it up. Um, but you've got some of the biggest cypress trees back there. You've got some amazing places where the the top dude from California would love to come out here and work in one of our um, one of our tech companies because he could ride his bike from downtown to South Augusta to you know pick up the the trail that's supposed to exist along Butler Creek. Um, we don't have to be chemical manufacturers. Like we could, you know, Amazon could have located on Columbia Nitrogen Road, for example. They didn't have to destroy half of Columbia County. Um, they could have located right there and had a direct um, interstate to get onto, you know, direct access to 520. The road already exists. So we have this infrastructure. Um, it is all about what the chamber and economic development are bringing into our community. Um, and and I think that the Amazon jobs are great jobs. Um, some of the, you know, even putting cars together, those are those are great jobs that don't involve creating and making plastic and emitting large amounts of toluene and benzene and mercury and lead and, and other stuff. So um, and if we are going to continue to have those types of companies here. One, you have to realize that most of them don't have direct discharge to the river anymore. They're actually tying into our wastewater system. So the city of Augusta is assuming the liability in a significant way for those industries' pollution burden. Um, but the other is, you know, we need to be a space that's requiring the, the most aggressive stormwater, the most aggressive scrubbers, the most aggressive of some of these water quality standards and making that, a you know, that needs to be a requirement when they come in that, you know, 
that that Solve Chemicals should never have felt comfortable enough in their most recent stock announcement to say that they're moving their PFOS line from New Jersey to Augusta to a more favorable regulatory environment. That's scary. So if we are, and I just want to paraphrase, you tell me if I got this right or if I got it wrong. Um, you know, yes, we have been chemical central. I mean, there's no question about it. It's, you know, you name the various employers, some of the various employers who have been involved in that sort of activity. Um, and is it, though, that there are ways for that just to be safer for those of us who live and work here? Is that, Absolutely. yeah, there are ways to make it safer. Yeah. I mean, so you're not saying don't take the jobs. You're not saying, you know, Augusta turned down all these jobs. What you're saying is let's do it in the safest way possible. Yeah. So Arubis, when the, the most recent, you know, the the president's wife, you know, Joe Biden was here just touting the how awesome it is that we're getting this new copper smelter. Well, that copper smelter qualified for an air permit that didn't have nearly as much oversight. And then once they got the air permit, immediately announced that they were doubling their capacity. Well, you know, that's that's going to directly affect the amount of discharge that probably had they permitted correctly in the beginning would have required that they get a major permit. Right. So and again, that's a place that's sitting on our development authority land and is tying into our wastewater treatment facility. This is a new company. Um, so I think we take a lot of dangerous risks in this community and and there is no there's nothing above the standard when it comes to stormwater control or any of these other like we're not requiring of of companies when they come in here that they need to to be a little more restrictive than the state requires um we're doing the bare minimum and and that's you know i hear you open for business but there's a long term effect to that We are about to wrap this interview up. Tanya, is there anything else that you want to share? You want folks to know about the role of the Riverkeeper, want folks to know about environmental justice in our area? You know, is there anything else you want to share before we close out our interview today? So during the summer, we have a Veterans for Clean Water program that collects water samples every single week in a bunch of different spots throughout the community. You can find it on Swim Guide or on our website. If you happen to go out on the water, it's a great place to check and see what the water level is currently um, so that you don't swim in, in poop water. Uh, but if you do get out on the water, a great thing to do is after a big rain event, wait 48 hours. Um, that is just a reality of the way that, that things flush through. Um, we don't only work on pollution. We also have a good time. We have a huge oyster roast here in March. So we would love for you to come out and, and hang out with us. We uh, All the food is from, from the basin. The uh, oysters come up from Bluffton Oyster Company. We have a great time. So so come join us in March. And and other than that, thank you very much for for allowing me to come on. And thank you for the role you play in uh, calling attention to things that uh, policymakers and others need to know, policymakers, regulators, and average citizens need to know about. All right. Thanks so much. I close with my favorite Bible verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 
For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. or Thursday at 7 p.m. here on 103.7 FM or 1600 AM. Or please go to SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at any time because local matters.